Good morning. Can you hear me? Everybody doing okay? Yeah? All right. A few of you doing okay. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Doesn't matter where it's at. And we happen to meet at the Crown Plaza. We are... I could, I was tell, I'm a, we're officially not a church plant anymore. We're, we're a little baby, and we're learning to walk. We're teething right now. And, um, and uh, anyways, just so happy to see everybody. My name is Philip, and I want to welcome those that are here for the first time. Thank you for joining us today. I want to make a public service announcement. Um, your pastor is not a very good piano player at times. And so, uh, you know, we experienced some technical difficulties of the worship team, and um, I want to let you know that was totally on me. And so, uh, hopefully, your hearts were in it. Amen? All right. Okay. Not a joking around crowd today, I can see. So, uh, so I, I see you came, into, uh, you came to get the word. Uh, I, w- I was telling the team this morning as we were setting up, uh, there are four times a year that are considered the most attended services in the year. Can you guess the top two? Easter's and Christmas. Can you guess which one is attended more? Christmas Eve actually is the one that's attended the most. Now, if you kind of go off Inspired Church, we kind of get more on Easter, but usually Christmas Eve is the most attended service of the year. And so uh, Christmas Eve, um, usually uh, individuals will come because uh, they were invited and they may not have a connection with um, with religion, period. They might not have a connection with Christianity, but they usually will still come on Christmas Eve. On Easter, everybody that hadn't been to church in a couple of years goes because they just feel like it's their thing to do. And so, um, and so and can you guess the other, the other day? You, you were here this morning, Mom. Cheater. So you took the whole shine out of it. Mother's Day is the third most attended time of the year. Father's Day is not even in the top 15. I guess, you know, they say children are more likely to be like, nah, Dad. And if Mom asks, can you go to church? They'll go. Isn't that interesting? And the fourth time, can you guess that one? Today. This morning. Yeah. You're like, what is it about the second week of January? Well, it's the same reason why you go to the gym and it's packed out in January. Uh, Because everyone made a New Year's resolution to get that body right. And uh, they also made that New Year's resolution to get that spiritual body right. And so if you're here this morning because you made a resolution, I'm proud of you. And like any other, yeah, yeah, we can do that. (laughs) But we hope to see you next month because, you know, resolutions don't last too long, right? Um, So... (laughs) But we meet every week here at the Crown Plaza. A lot of instruction, instruction, construction that's going on right now. And so um, thank you for working with us. Uh, We appreciate it. And again, um, we are a homeless church, and we like it that way. Uh, Obviously, one day we believe God's going to give us a home, but we enjoy being a homeless church. And uh, I'm excited because this month we've been speaking and talking about prayer. And uh, I'm just excited to challenge you this morning, to inspire you this morning. Uh, I'll say this. Wherever you're at in your prayer life, in 2018, take one step forward. So your prayer life doesn't have to look like somebody else's. A lot of times we compare, right? And, you know, we look at somebody that's been in the Lord for a while, or we look at somebody, maybe an older saint in the Lord, and we just feel like, man, they can pray for hours. And you're like, I can't even pray for 10 minutes. So I want to challenge you this morning, just wherever you're at in 2018, take a step forward. You know, if, if the most you've ever prayed, if you're like me, and the most you've ever prayed back in the day was just for your food, take a step forward and pray for something else. Uh, and just this year, I just want to challenge you, wherever you are in your prayer life, to just grow a little bit more. What is that next step uh, for you? And here's the interesting thing. When it comes to prayer, we can always count on God. God loves answering prayer. He always answers prayer. In fact, Jeremiah 33.3 tells us, Call to me and I will answer you. It's a guarantee. If you call to me, I guarantee you that I'm going to answer you. Now, that's the good news. That's the good news. We serve a God that's not only sure to answer, but we serve a God that loves to answer. We serve a God that loves to hear your call. We serve a God that doesn't deny your phone call. You know, when he, when he gets caller ID, anybody ever do that? I'm the only one. <laughs> And we serve a God that's always there and always ready to answer. Um, and so that's the good news. But this morning, 
Here's the difficult news, and I don't know why I always choose to preach the difficult sermons on the most attended days of the year. Um, this year, I, you know, I wish I could preach something awesome. You come back next week, and then we'll discourage you next week. But this morning, I just want you to kind of put your seatbelts on because it's going to be one of those this morning. But here's why. And I believe ultimately God is, God is going to say something beautiful. But here's why, because traditionally, we're more excited about the yes than the no. And so here's the good news about God. He answers every prayer request. Here's maybe the, the difficult news about it is that even though God answers every prayer, not every answer is a, is a yes. In fact, in our walk with Christ, we'll experience many no's. If you stay with Christ long enough, you'll experience many no's. In fact, there may be some of us in our lives that experience more no's than yeses. And many times these denials can leave us feeling confused They leave us feeling frustrated, especially when we experience somebody else getting what we've been praying for. And then we get haunted with questions. And here are some of the questions that maybe some of you might even be haunted with this morning. Like, why was that person's father healed and mine? Why wasn't my father healed? Or how about, why is that person experiencing relief from pain, yet I'm still suffering? Or another question, why are so many couples getting pregnant? And that's pretty true here, isn't it? We got about six or seven couples pregnant. But, you know, it's, and I say this when couples get engaged here at Inspire, people get married. We celebrate it, but I feel like every time we celebrate it, we can't forget those that are feeling frustration because they're not experiencing it. And so as we celebrate, you know, pregnancies here, we can't forget that that may be a trigger for somebody. There may be a couple in here this morning that might be asking the question, you know, we've been trying and praying for years. Everyone's getting pregnant, but we can't. It's a real reality. And so these are the questions that haunt us. Many no's produce many whys. Why, God? Many no's produce many whys. But if we're going to mature in the Lord... If we're going to have to, we're going to have to learn to accept and honor the no's of God in the same manner that we accept and honor his yeses. And that's a difficult thing to do. Because after all, it's in the tragic death. It's in the unfulfilled longing. It's in that denied dream where our faith will be tested the most. At some point in time, your faith will be tested with a denial of something that you really want. And in that dark moment of your soul, you'll be faced with the frustration of that denial. How will you respond to the word of the Lord over your life? But here's what I do want to say. Your faith will be tested the most during that time. But I want you to, I want you to know that if you, li- if you listen and process through this correctly... Your faith will not just get tested, but you'll learn that God probably has more to say to you in a denial than he does in a yes. You will learn more about yourself in a no from God than you'll learn in a yes from God. You will find that God will mold you into the image of Christ in a very deep and compelling way in the no, more so than he would in the yes. And so in that case, in 2018, we say, bring on the no, but we say, God, please be kind and be gentle to us. And so uh, I want to pray this morning before we actually get into the sermon on the message. And this message is simply titled, When God Says No. And so can we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, I I do not want to be insensitive to those that are experiencing some of those haunting questions in here this morning. The whys. Why did this take place? Why did I, maybe you lost a loved one. You lost someone close to you, a mom or a dad, and you're still battling with why God. Um, maybe there's a couple in here that trying to get pregnant, and it's been extremely difficult, if not impossible. And so I don't want to be insensitive to that. I want you to know that God cares. And God hears. And I want you to know that God is sovereign in this. And if you will allow him, there'll be such a growing, it's a growing pain, but it'll be such an opportunity for growth. And so I just pray that Inspire Church and the members of Inspire Church would grow in our discipleship and we'd learn to honor the yeses of God just as much. We, we'll learn to honor the no's of God just as much as we honor his yes. Lord, Holy Spirit, just feel me speak 
through me. Um, and I pray that your word would be ministered clearly for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to basically separate this morning's message into two main sections. And the first section is this, the power of God's no. Believe it or not, God's no has power. And so the first section, we're going to talk about the power of God's no. And then we're going to finish this morning's message with our process in God's no. And so there's the power of God's no, and then there's our process in God's no. And so I want to talk about the power of God's no first. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 9. And we'll also have it up here for you on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, I welcome you to follow along. And can we just give God honor and glory that Hawaii wasn't hit with a missile? Amen. <laughs> I remember we were, we, were in a, we were in a budget meeting yesterday, and uh, one of our guys kind of said, hey, can we pray real quick? And we were like, hey, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, Hawaii just got this warning about a ballistic missile. We all just kind of, our jaws dropped, our heart dropped, and we began to pray. So I had someone else pray, so I can go on Twitter. And... Um, <laughs> And I was just kind of confirming with my sources, you know, and I wasn't really seeing anything. So I was like, maybe that I don't know what's going on. And so we prayed and then it turns out it was a mistake, right? So it's some, there was some guy kind of going on a change of shift and he pressed the wrong button. I'm like, so you put the change of shift button next to the end of the world button. That's like where you put it. <laughs> and it's like, well, oh, I hit the wrong one. You know what I mean? Like you might want to put the end of the world button on the far right with like a big red you know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> I know we're making jokes now. Some of you might think I'm insensitive. I just thank God it didn't happen, right? And I believe that our prayers, I believe it was happening, but something, no, I'm just kidding. Our prayers shifted. We prayed, and they said, oh, it was just a hoax. They said, amen, God answered that prayer, see? Um, anyways, uh, not a hoax, but a mistake. Second Corinthians, again, I don't mean to be insensitive, but we can look back and kind of breathe and take a sigh of relief. Uh, I do want to say... Um, there are some people in this world that live under that fear every day. And we as Americans, we get so sensitive and so, and I get it. And it's such, but I want you to know there are some people who wake up every morning under the fear of, of, of something happening, happening. And so, you know, um, also it's an opportunity to say, you know what, you know, embrace the fact that and pray for the world and pray for those areas in the world that wake up every day to a threat of some sort of attack. Second Corinthians chapter 12 um, verse 7 through 9, and we're going to talk about the power of God's no. And before I read this, mess, this particular portion of Scripture, we're going to kind of parachute right in the middle of a verse. And I typically don't like to do that. I want to be a little more contextual and bring you into the whole story. But today we're going to kind of parachute in the middle of a verse. I'm going to do my best to catch you up, um, but we're really going to focus on um, when God says no. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 9, it reads like this. And this is Paul speaking. To keep me from becoming conceited. Oh, come on, amen. (laughs) Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. Now, the Greek word for thorn is just a sharp point causing pain or discomfort. So Paul says, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And I want to focus on this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, there's two observations I want to make before we kind of dive in here. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now, what we see here is an impudent Paul. Paul's being impudent. In fact, it was like he was at last Sunday's service at Inspire. We talked about the impudency of prayer. We talked about how God is attracted to impudent prayers. Paul's prayer contains two interesting elements. It's full of desperation. He's pleading. There's a passion element. There's a deep desperation and concern in his prayer. He's pleading, but he's also persistent in that he's pleading three times. And so he's praying with a passionate desperation, but he's also consistent in his prayers. That is the kind of prayer that attracts God. Your persistence and your desperation tells God that you're serious about this request. 
Now, this is really important for you to understand. This formula attracts God. This formula gets God's answers, but it doesn't get his yeses. You guys see that? That's really important. This formula gets God's answers, but it doesn't get his yeses. There's a difference between God's answers and his yeses. No is an answer. Amen? Wait is an answer. Grow up is an answer. Lord, I just want a man. Grow up. I just need a boo this year. Grow up. Wait. No. Amen? Paul pleads with the Lord three times. There's persistence and there's desperation. And the Lord answers him, but no, but yes, is it, yes and the answer are two different things in this particular section. Now, second thing I want to dive into. After Paul pleads with the Lord, Paul says, but then he said to me. So Paul's saying, after I plead with the Lord, then the Lord responded to me. He said to me, and the simple answer is no. He said no. No, he said no. He said, but I want, what I love about the Holy Spirit working through Paul as he writes this letter um, is that he doesn't just include God saying no, but he tells why God is saying no. He gives why the no of God is so valuable to Paul's life. And that's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit in this. He's not just saying God said no, but he's telling you, I'm going to now tell you why this no is so valuable to your life, Paul. This is the apostle. Now, here's what, if you're taking notes, it's really simple. These are four things God's no does for Paul in his life. Four things God's no does for Paul. Are you ready? Number one, God's no protects. Number two, God's no provides. Number three, God's no produces. And number four, God's no perfects. There's no protects, provides, produces, and perfects. Let's talk about God's no protecting. According to verse 7, God's no protects Paul from himself. The word used in this scripture is the word conceit. And in the Greek, it literally means to lift oneself up. And right as I was saying that, I realized I'm sitting on a platform. It's funny how we lift people up, right? Um, <laughs> But it literally means to lift oneself up. There's an arrogance and pride that God's no is protecting Paul from. Are you with me? Now, let me tell you, let me, we're parachuting in the midst of this book and in the midst of this chapter. So let me give you a little bit of context so you can understand. It's not that Paul is just this supremely arrogant guy. There's a reason why God is doing this. Hear me out. You see, early in the chapter, if you read the chapter, Paul reflects on having, he has heavenly visions and revelations. Paul reflects on having early in his, in his process, having visions and having experiences in which God is taking him into the heavenly realms and he's seeing all of these amazing things. God is show, has showed Paul mysteries that nobody else had ever seen. None of Paul's contemporaries had seen or experienced what Paul had seen and experienced. And what God was showing Paul was mysteries that God had hidden since eternity passed. No man had seen the mysteries that Paul had seen. Now, this is the kind of knowledge and this is the kind of experience that threatened to puff Paul up. Are you with me? Possibly causing Paul to fall into the trap of pride. Now, conversely, during this time, Paul is ministering to the churches. There are other so-called super apostles that are ministering to churches. And these super apostles, they come in and they wear their nicest outfits. And they walk and make sure everyone sees. And their honorariums are expensive. If you want me to preach at your church, you got to make sure you cover my private jet costs. You make sure you cover my hotel. And when you do cover my hotel, I need to be in the hotel. I don't need to be in the Crown Plaza. Right? Probably wouldn't even come to inspire. There were these super apostles who were boasting in these things. And the church typically follows the outward appearance of men. And so Paul is 
in this place. And Paul could easily say, well, you have all of these things, but there are revelations from God that I've gotten that you haven't. So just to give you a little context there. So to ensure Paul was protected from himself, God does two things that may not fit inside of our theological box. Are you ready? Seatbelts on. To protect Paul from himself, God does two things that may not fit in your theological box. Are you ready for this? Number one, God authorizes pain to come. I'm reading the same Bible you are. God authorizes pain to come, number one. And number two, God allows pain to stay. This means not only was Paul's affliction God's idea. Oof. Not only was Paul's affliction God's idea, but when Paul asked for God to take it away, God says no. Now, please hear me out. I'm not suggesting God doesn't want to heal. I'm not suggesting that. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe we lay hands on the lame. They will become healed. I believe in that. We are believers of that here, okay? We are not cessationists here. We don't believe that the gifts stopped a long time ago like some denominations. We believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to be practiced today. Are you with me? I'm not suggesting that God doesn't want to heal. But here's what I am saying. Are you ready for this? If my affliction keeps me close to God and far from sin, then don't heal me. If my affliction keeps me close to God and keeps me far from sin, then don't heal me. I'd rather be sick and in the will of God than healthy and out of his will. You know, I remember Jesus telling, I remember Jesus saying, I'd rather walk heaven without a hand and be maimed and lame than be in hell fully functioning. And he told that parable to everyone who flips people off on the freeway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that, that wasn't in my notes. Just stick to the script, amen? But I'd rather be sick and in the will of God than healthy and out of God's will. Sometimes, are you guys ready for this? Sometimes what we want taken away is best kept where it's at. And sometimes what we want added is best left out. Thank God he doesn't answer every prayer. Amen? Some of you look back like three years from now and you're like, thank God. You know what I mean? Right. Some of you get what I'm saying. God, thank God you didn't answer that one. I almost, you know. I'm not even finishing the sentence. You guys are finishing it in your mind, which means you you guys know what that is. I didn't say it. But thank God. I know I thank God. Lord, help me. So number one, God's no protects. You guys see that? Protects Paul from himself in this context. Number two, God's no provides. Well, wait a minute. It doesn't seem like God is providing for Paul. The only thing it seems like God is providing for Paul is a headache and a heartache. But if you look closer, the scripture reveals that in providing for Paul or in telling Paul no, then God will tell Paul, my grace and my power. And so here's what's going on. While God's no is emptying Paul of Paul, it's at the same time filling Paul with more God. While God's no is emptying Paul of Paul, at the same time, simultaneously, God's no is filling Paul with more of God. Now, let me tell you two provisions that come out of God's no here. Number one, God's no provides an opportunity for Paul to grow in trust. Mm. Grow in trust. You see, God's denial of Paul's request is actually an invitation. His denial of Paul's request is an invitation for Paul to learn to lean on God. It's an invitation to learn to lean on God, to learn to lean on God's power and his grace rather than leaning on Paul's effort and strength. Why does God have to do this? Here's why. You ready? Because self-reliance will sabotage your discipleship. The fastest way to killing your walk with Christ is raising yourself up. 
I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Are you with me? So God's note provides an opportunity for Paul to grow in trust. God's denial of Paul's request is an invitation for Paul to learn to lean on God's grace and power rather than Paul leaning on his own strength and effort. If we're, going to be, if we're going to go where God leads, if we're going to do what God asks, if we're going to become what God wants us to become, we're going to have to learn to trust him more and trust self less. Trust him more and trust self less. I'm going to need to be emptied, not full of myself. I'm going to need to be full of God. And I'm going to need to learn that if I'm going to do what God has called me to do, I'm going to need to lean on God and not me. If I try to do what God called me to do in my own strength, I'm going to wreck it. Amen. Second thing, second provision. I love this provision. God's no, you ready for this? Provides a platform for God to get the glory. You're not the main character of this story, amen? This is God's story. This is his story. That's what history is. You're not the main character. God's no provides a platform for God to get the glory. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a believer or an old-time saint in the Lord and just talking stories with them? You know, just went to lunch or just sat down with somebody. And have you ever just kind of sat there and said, keep telling me more stories. I love your stories. They're just a, they've just been walking with the Lord for a long time. And they just got so much wealth of experience. If you've never done that, let me tell you, invite, invite someone to coffee this week. Go out of here. Write that down. Make, put that part of your New Year's resolution. Go to church. Did that on Sunday. Number two, meet with somebody who's been walking with the Lord. And just say, you know what, don't even, you don't even have to just say, hey, can you just tell me about your life? Can you tell me about a time you almost walked away? Have you ever, have you ever met a believer, a saint who's endured the impossible? What do I mean by that? Have you ever said or thought to yourself, I don't know how they did that. In fact, I thank God that I didn't have to go through that. I don't know how they made it through. Have you ever seen somebody? It doesn't have to be an old-timer saying maybe it's somebody. Have you ever met somebody and you thought to yourself, you went through all of that and you're still standing? You went through all of that and you still love Jesus? And you know what the beautiful thing is? that How powerful of a witness, how powerful of a witness is that individual to his or her closeness with Christ, when they look you in the eye and they say, you know what, I don't know how I did it neither, but to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. In this way, Paul's thorn transforms from a point of pain to a place of provision. His thorn becomes a means by which only God can be glorified and nobody else. Now, if you're like me, I can't say that I'm there yet. That's not my prayer in 2018. Lord, make me that saint. Lord, I want to go through something. Everyone will look at me and say, how'd you do? Lord, I don't want to have to go through that. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, that's awesome, but can I not go through that? Okay. So if you're like me, <laughs> I can't say that I'm there yet. But what a powerful testimony of a closeness to God that some saints have because they endured something only God's grace could have helped them endure. Now, stepping out of the points here, for fun, let's speculate. What do you think Paul's thorn was? Scripture never mentions that. Some people say it was a nagging wife. Yeah, I didn't go over to a. You see, all we're told in Scripture is that the thorn was in the flesh. And then there's an interesting thing that says, and a messenger of Satan. So, you know, our, our minds wander, right? And, you know, there's some people out there that take little bits of Scripture and just, man, they just build a whole philosophy around it, right? God didn't say anything. But let's just speculate for a little bit. Can we speculate safely together? Well, there are four speculations about what this thorn might have been. What was Paul pleading? God, take this away from me. And God said, no, I'm going to keep it there to keep you humble. Well, the first thing was the thorn, some people speculate, it might have been psychological. Now, some might suggest that Paul continually dealt with grief 
over his earlier persecution of the church. Did you know that Paul oversaw murders of Christians? Did you know that Paul went into homes with thugs and grabbed Christians and removed them from, forcibly dragged them out and brought them in front of the Sanhedrin? Did you know that when Stephen was stoned to death, that those that stoned Stephen, the Christian deacon, laid their coats at Paul's feet, symbolic of saying that Paul was overseeing this? And so some people think that Paul continually dealt with the burden and guilt and grief of knowing that the blood of his brothers and sisters was on his hands. Some say it was spiritual. Some kind of demonic harassment. Some kind of demonic harassment. A messenger of Satan. Some sort of demonic entity coming against Paul and his work. Number three, some say it was physical. Some people believe it was some sort of physical ailment. Um, I've heard poor eyesight, that the Apostle Paul might have had really poor eyesight. Um, I've heard even malaria fever, um, even severe migraine headaches. And where they get this from is the idea that it was a thorn in the flesh. And the flesh reveals this idea that this, it was physical. Are you guys with me? And then number four, the other speculation, some speculate that it was just everywhere Paul go, he had opposition, enemies. Everywhere he went. I don't know if you read Paul's life, but that guy can't step into a city without enduring some sort of opposition. He's, he, he, you know, did you know that Paul got stoned in a city and he was thrown outside of a city and left to die and he survived that? He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. Paul's gone through it all. And I, when I hear that, I wonder if Paul ever thought to himself, well, I deserve this. I wonder if Paul struggled with that. In fact, I don't wonder. I probably believe he probably did. He probably thought, you know what? I deserve this. But you know what's really crazy about Paul is that he was the apostle of grace. And it was not about works. And so even though he may have struggled with that, he was always preaching and championing the idea. It wasn't about what you do. And so just what a dynamic to live in. And so there's these possibilities. I don't have an answer for you. There's no answer given to us in Scripture. These are only speculations about what was this pain, what was this thorn in his flesh that he was pleading for God to take away that God said no. Now, most commentators cautiously prefer some form of physical ailment since it was a thorn in the flesh. And so some of them believe it. He, Paul continued in his ministry, and he was suffering physically. He was dealing with some sort of deep pain that God didn't take away. It was some sort of physical ailment. Let's get back on track here, and let's talk about point number three and point number four together. You see, God's no not only protects Paul, it not only provides for Paul, but God's no produces, number three, and number four, perfects. I'm going to marry these two together. Now, this is important. There are some blessings that are impossible to obtain without the presence of suffering. Can you write, note that? Note, take that on your heart real quick. And note, take, take that somewhere. There are some blessings that are impossible to obtain without the presence of suffering. Now, I know you and I have been conditioned to think that suffering and blessing oppose one another. But this is simply not biblical. Listen to the word. James chapter 1. We're going to go quickly. James chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but hear the word. James chapter 1, 2 verses 4. Verses 2 through 4 reads like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, are you ready, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Steadfastness means endurance. Do you know that there are a lot of us today, and maybe not in this room, but there, our Christianity doesn't endure. We walk away from Christ. We walk away from his word in our lives. And our Christian walk looks like a roller coaster. But God says, you know what, son, daughter, I need to teach you endurance. You need to allow the testing of your faith to produce steadfastness so you can stop looking like a roller coaster in your walk and you can be in the walk with me. Count it all joy. How about Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5? It says this. 
We rejoice in our sufferings. How oxymoron is that? We rejo- who rejoices in their sufferings? Who says, yes, I'm suffering today? Who wakes up and takes pleasure in their suffering? Nobody that I know, but yet here's the word of God saying, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Do we rejoice because we're suffering? No. Here's why. Knowing that suffering, here it is, produces endurance. And guess what endurance does? It produces character. And then character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I love what Paul says. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings. Some verses say the fellowship of his sufferings. You know what fellowship is? Fellowship is is when you get together and you break bread with somebody. Like after church today, many of you are going to go to lunch and you're going to fellowship. You're going to enjoy each other's company. Paul says, I want to know God in two ways. I want to know him in his resurrection, but I want to fellowship with him in his what? In his suffering. Isn't that deep? And then Paul ends it saying, becoming like him in his death. Suffering molds us into the image of Christ. And our goal is to look more like Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say to you this morning. Outcomes give meaning to processes. Outcomes give meaning to processes. Nobody wants to hurt for no reason. Nobody wants to suffer without a cause. Now, this is going to be a bit of a cliche alert, but please hear the truth. But if my pain has a purpose, I'll find the strength to struggle. If my pain has a purpose, then I'll find the strength to struggle. So Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. And he doesn't stop there. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, he is made strong. And I want you to hear me out. If God's no brings Jesus glory, if God's no brings me closer to Jesus, if God's no keeps me further from sin, if God's no is meant to produce a greater glory inside of me, then I must learn to embrace his no just as much as I would embrace his yes. Because God is good, his no is always good. Because the person or the character of the giver is good, then we know that the contents of the gift is good. It may not feel good, sound good, but we know it all things work together for the good for those who are what? Who love God and are called according to his purposes. That means that if you're a Christian, you never fail. If you put your trust in Jesus, you never fail. And it may feel like a setback. But the reality is all things are being worked together for your good. If you are a believer, if you're not a believer, failure waits for you. Now, I want to conclude this morning's message by jumping into our second section. And it's called, Our Process in God's No. Our Process in God's No. Now, whenever God tells you no, I want you to remember these three things. And this is going to be really important. So important that I'm going to get, I'm going to get off my high horse and I'm going to come downstairs just so we can stay on level ground together. Amen? I know I said conclusion, but we usually come down here. It's about another 30 minutes. I'm going to do my best. Amen? <laughs> I'm going to conclude... With this, so we have discovered the power of God's no through the life of Paul. And next, I want to conclude by talking about our process in God's no. Now, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer. This is a little bit of scripture and a lot of experience right now, okay? I'm going to give you some personal words of advice that I've discovered with myself. And I offer you an opportunity to jump into this and to take whatever you want for yourself here. But here's what I want to advise you. When God says no, I want to advise you to go through a process, amen? When God says no, there are three things I want to advise you to do. Number one, let it go. Number two, you have permission to grieve. And number three, find the gift. Number one, let it go. Number two, you have permission to grieve. 
And number three, find the gift. Go, grieve, and gift. Amen? Let's talk about this really briefly, and then we'll pray. My advice to you is when God says no, let it go. Once God has said no, gently let it go. Some of the most dangerous setbacks to our growth in Christ happen when we hold too long onto something that we were never meant to have. Some of our greatest setbacks in our walk with Christ is when we hold on too long to something that God says, I never intended for you. When God says no, gently let it go. Think of it this way. The longer you hold on to it, the more authority you give it over your life. The longer you hold on to it, the more authority you give to it over your life. It then becomes an idol because it sets itself up against God's word. Unfortunately, immature Christians never get beyond this point. And many times, they allow certain areas of their lives to exist in long-term disobedience. When God says no, let it go. Number two, when God says no, you have permission to grieve. I want to tell you something. Letting go means accepting God's no as his final answer. Right, you ever watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that your final answer? Have you ever been playing in a game of Battle of the Sexes against your husband or your wives? And you look at them and you want to trick them and you're like, are you sure about that? And you know they got the right answer. And you're like, is that your final answer? And somehow psychologically like, okay, they're trying to tell me something. I got to rethink. You, no? Okay. <laughs> I know you have. Letting go means accepting God's no as his final answer. But what it doesn't mean is allowing you to rush past all of the feelings of disappointment. As if God's goal for us in letting go is to make us feel better immediately. Can I tell you this morning, God's ultimate goal is not to make you feel better immediately. Here's the truth. Feeling disappointed is not a sin. Feeling disappointed is not a sin. In fact, disappointment is a natural response to letting go of something you really longed for. Letting, letting go of something you really were desiring. Disappointment is a natural response. It's not a sin. It's a response to grieving over something that you really wish would take place. God does not want to rush you past that. God is not interested in temporary or quick fixes. But instead, are you ready for this? He wants the void to draw us closer to him. In this way, disappointment becomes an invitation to find a gift. Let it go. Permission to grieve. And last thing, find the gift. What do I mean by that? Once you've accepted God's no as God's final answer, once you've given permission to yourself to grieve, this is important, pray through the disappointment. Pray through the disappointment. Pray through the disappointment. Pray through the disappointment. Praying through your disappointments creates a space for God to speak. It's an invitation to process through your heart with the Holy Spirit and in the presence of Jesus. In this way, disappointments become blessings and griefs and grief becomes gifts that few people, you hear me? Few people actually get to unwrap and enjoy because they're so eager to bypass the pain. If any of you in here have ever processed through your pain, prayed through your disappointment, you know that there's a gift in there. And as much as you didn't want the pain to touch you too deeply, and much as you were tempted to run past the pain, as much as you were tempted to self-medicate the pain, drink the pain away, instead of drinking the pain away, you prayed, and the pain didn't go away, but God spoke to you in the pain, and there was a gift. Can I say this, and I'm saying this out of experience, some of God's deepest works in my life some of the most clearest revelation of God and myself and some of the most genuine times of healing I've ever experienced came to me 
when I learned to process and pray through feelings and emotions, my flesh wanted to rush by. Some of the deepest revelations of who God is, some of the deepest revelations of my pain and my hurt, some of the most genuine times of healing in my life, I experienced those times when I learned to process and pray through feelings and emotions my flesh wanted to rush and avoid. Hear me out. What many miss because of fear, few learn to embrace. Dark moments of the soul humble us to hear God clearly. And it's in these places where questions like this get answered. Why was I holding on to this so tightly? What is it that's inside of me that causes me to feel so much disappointment about this? And is there any place in my life that this request occupied that rightfully belongs to you? Is there any place in my life that this request was occupying that rightfully belongs to you? And I want to give you a final word of caution and then we're finished. And here it is. And this is uh, Rick. Many of you are familiar with Rick Warren. Some of us, we have all different ideas about different pastors and leaders. I struggle to even quote sometimes because right away half the church is like, oh, gosh. But here's a, here's a nugget that I believe in. Use this message that I spoke this morning. Are you ready? Use this message to grow and comfort yourself. Never use it to comfort someone else. Use this message to grow and comfort yourself. Never use this message to comfort someone else with pain. Because you don't know why God told them no. That's their journey. You don't know why God told them no. Don't try to rush them past it. Don't bring it. You can say, hey, you want to listen to this? It might help you. But use this to comfort yourself. Use this for you to go into your prayer closet to be matured in Christ. But never use it to try to comfort someone else. Because when someone is in deep pain, sometimes they just want someone to be there and not try to fix it. And that's what Jesus does. He says, let it go, but I'll give you permission to grieve. Accept my no. But you can stay here for a while and be disappointed, and let's process together. In fact, I'll just sit back and listen. And then I'll reveal such amazing things in your life. Are you with me? Yeah. I'm going to finish this morning with telling you just a quick story. Um. There were seasons and times in my life where I went through a lot of loneliness. Seasons, times in my life where I went through some grief and disappointment. And there was a crossroad during a moment in my life where I was going through so much disappointment and so much loneliness. There was a fork in the road. If I had gone left, what left left looked like was the pleasures of this world. I got to get my mind off of this thing. And so let me go out. Let me drown myself in some sort of pleasure. And let me continually try to get over this thing by going out and doing something that will take my mind off of this thing. And on the right side stood Jesus and the Holy Spirit saying, look, I'm going to invite you to walk a very painful path with me. But I'm promising for, to be here with you in this process. And it was a fight every night. <laughs> It was a fight every night to make the determination whether I was going to go left and head out and try to dull the pain or whether I was going to go right and get in my prayer closet, remain lonely in my prayer closet, but invite the Holy Spirit to process with me. It was a painful time, a a time of dark loneliness, a time where my soul was in a battle and in a fight. And I can't say that I was perfect, and I can't say that I always made and pushed the right buttons, but I can say that in that season, looking back, I chose to process through my pain with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something, and this always happens with the Lord. Your worst times with God, when you look back, they end up becoming the best times of your life. And here's why. You say, that pain that I processed through created such a faith inside of me that I'm never looking back again. Because I went through that with Jesus, anything else that comes against me, I know that I'm always going to be with Christ. 
and it produces a confidence and a joy and a hope. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite you in 2018 to pray. I want to invite you to take that next step of prayer wherever you are in your life. And I want to invite you to embrace the no as much as you embrace the yes. And if you're going through something because you can't get an answer, you feel like God's answer is not good enough or there's a disappointment, I give you permission to grieve. All I ask is that in your grieving, you would process with the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, I promise you, he will not fail. And at the other side of it, you will come out giving all glory to God. And you won't be the same. You'll never look the same. And then, you know what? God's going to put a sword in your hand. And your testimony is going to empower someone else. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at this church. I thank you for what you're doing in every heart and mind that's here this morning. And Holy Spirit, I I just pray that you would speak to anybody that's going through a disappointment. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to anybody that's going through some suffering and some pain and it's unexplicable. And I pray that this week, you would just gently remind them that you're, there's an invitation in the pain. There's an invitation to come close. There's an invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus with the Holy Spirit and allow God to do one of the most beautiful works in your life. And so I pray strength and confidence. And I pray if there's anyone that's either experiencing a setback or going through an ongoing frustration. Lord, I pray that this message today, some way or another, in just a simple way, Lord, would encourage, inspire. Lord, I pray that your word would not come back void. It would accomplish everything it's been set out to do in our hearts and our minds this morning. I pray a blessing over this congregation. I pray a blessing over the rest of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Now, yeah. just got laid off. I'm doing good. I'll save it, pay it